Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as planned. Welcome to the Lazarus Project Podcast. This is episode 12. A Mass Effect podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. The podcast recorded live in the Ploppy54 gaming Discord server. Come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version. All the details you need can be found in the show notes. My name is Craig, and joining me today is Manny. Hello, everybody. And Tim. Hello. In this episode, we will be talking about the inevitable case of a video game adaptation of Mass Effect. We've seen so many video game adaptations in recent years. I feel like, to be honest, it's probably inevitable. But first, it's the news. There is some news for Starfield people, fans. It was revealed in a live stream or a podcast or something, that uh, Todd Howard revealed only 10% of Starfield's 1,000 planets have life on them. Uh, for us, uh, we view it as giving you choices when you look at a system. Uh, this could include visiting barren planets that are only there to collect resources or planets with major cities as players to explore and progress the story in. Uh, obviously, it's procedural, so there's no way of we're going to, to go in and craft it, Howard continued. What we do is handcraft individual locations, and some of those are placed uh, like is or other quest locations, and then we have a suite of them that we've generated or placed uh, when you land, depending on that planet. What do you guys think of that? Well, if there's really a thousand planets, ten percent is still a hundred, isn't it? That's very true. I was going to say ten percent even kind of seems a little bit high. I be like the the mass effect planets where you land on and a little hut or a little shack and like one person stood there or something and i would be curious it's... to know sorry i was gonna say then they can claim it's like that's one of the 100 because there's one person there i'm just saying i would be that guy who just goes to one planet to be the one guy who can just say i am the ruler of this planet because i'm the only one who lives here i would be curious <laughs> what i was going to say i'd be curious to know when he says that 10% of the planets are going to have life. So like, just say, hypothetically, if a system has 10 planets, does that mean one of them's always going to be have life and the other nine are going to be barren? Or could you theoretically run into a system where, say, all 10 planets are barren? Or if you get really, really super lucky, all 10 have are fully populated? Did he mention anything about that? Um, no, he just said that there are merits to empty planets, though as it balances the busy ones out to create a more believable universe. I think it is the moment when you land on some of these barren planets and, again, will generate certain things for you to find on them. But if you look at a planet, you'll see that the resources it has the resources and things that you want. I'm reading this from the Kotaku website, on the IGN website, sorry, um, if anybody wants to. So basically it's going to be like Settlers of Catan in space. Uh, yeah. I think. And didn't Mass Effect have that kind of thing as well, where you could just go to planets where you wouldn't find anyone as well? I mean, obviously there aren't as many planets in the first Mass Effect, but... Yeah, most of the planets you you 
you could land on that didn't have meaningful stuff there. There was you could it might have, like I say, you know, the odd outpost sort of thing or a, a little hut that had a dead side and a, a log entry or something. But yeah, it was more about exploring really. The some of the stuff that you to had me, to go and look around in the emptier parts of the map to actually find some of the other stuff on the planet. To me, I almost found that to be part of the draw to the first Mass Effect was exploring the empty barren planets. Like even like the little Easter egg thingies you'd find, like you said, like whether it's a little shack with a dead body or the Prothean pyramids, you have like the first time I played, you have no idea how many times I was trying to like, there has to be a way I can interact with this. Or like on Tally's loyalty mission, I forget which one of the five planets it's on, but on one of them, if you drive out in the middle of nowhere, you can find this absolutely enormous skull that you can scan. And it's like unidentified creature. And you're like, oh, what is this? And, but like, they never give you answers. So like, like the mystery, like that just helped build the mystery, I guess. And that was cool, I thought. I, have, I was actually wondering this the other day. Do you think they'll have like a codex in Starfield? Yeah. Sure I would imagine they'd have to. It might get filled out as you play it. It might be one of those, rather than like a Mass Effect one where it's all like a lore-driven world already. You you might have like your basic stuff, but as you explore, then then that gets filled out. I think that's what happens in um, No Man's Sky. It kind of starts off blank. Well, Mass Effect does that to a degree too. You get all the basic stuff about like the main council races, some of the secondary races, the history of the alliance, and blah blah blah. But part of you actually get an achievement for finding all of the codex entries. Didn't know that. I don't really look at the codex. To be fair, codex is one of those things, though, as well, isn't it? Like every time you look at it, you will find something like really interesting. But it's like it's probably the same for you, Tim. Which is, you know. It's just like the effort of checking it every time you find something, and yeah, it's like there's. It's just yeah. I just uh, I, I I I didn't. I don't play games to read. I just play games to play. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, but like, it, you did quite well with um, uh, the first Witcher game because in order for you to to defeat monsters, you had to go and find out about them, and then it got added to your your bestiality or your, your Bestiality, beast. That's not the right word. Beastery, <laughs> beastery. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I know what I meant. <laughs> um, so yeah, it got added to that, and then to go in there, you would have to look up, you know, what potions and what, um, what it was weak to. But then they kind of just did away with that for the other two games. So if Mass Effect had something like that, you know, if you had to go in and look up what, you know, Geth were weak to, then that would, I would have probably used it a lot more. But as, as it stands, I don't really, don't really use it. And like, you get the voiceover and you can actually read faster than the voiceover. So, Of course, Geth would be your example, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> They're machines. But if you don't read the codex, how are you supposed to find out interesting facts? Like how the Solarians have the same problem Krogan do, whereas only one out of every ten or so on average is born female and the rest are all men. Or why do you know why Krogan call Varen fish dogs? Huh? That's deep 
cutting edge information you can only get from reading the codex. I, I have a Manning that can tell me interesting facts. Speaking of the Geth, I always was a little disappointed. If you, I think it's if you save the council, the guy on the top floor of the Citadel, the Turian who sells you weapons in Mass Effect 2, where he asks you to bring you a Geth's head so he can make a desk lamp, I was always a little disappointed, especially after all the nonsense you can do with those two Krogan and the fish, that you couldn't actually bring him a Geth's head as a side quest so he could make a lamp. A random anecdote. <laughs> Tell you what, though, that's a great idea for the Bioware store, though. Just a geth lamp. A geth lamp. I wouldn't mind the lamp that Vetra lost in Andromeda, though. <laughs> for scientific research purposes only, though. I don't remember what that lamp was, to be honest. Apparently, it was a nude Asari. Oh. She said it was hideous, but she had a, an emotional connection to it. Or actually, or did she say vulgar? I don't know. She said that it was awful in one way or another, but that she wanted it back. Weren't there some other things that they announced about Starfield as well? Like, didn't they say that there were like four, going to be four romances or something? I heard, I initially heard that there was going to be in it, and then I heard that there was going to be romance in it. So I don't really know. Yeah, but there's never sex in a Bethesda game, is there? It's going to be no. like a Skyrim situation, probably, where you can just like get married and then maybe kiss someone. Lay on the same bed with them, and that's about it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. On top of the blankets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I heard that there are going to be four. Four doesn't seem like that, that many, to be honest. When, I mean, how many are there in Fallout? Fallout 4? Do we know? I haven't got a clue. I don't know. I suppose four is just kind of like a bare minimum, because you do... There's usually that many in like RPGs now, isn't there? Yeah. According to my two-second Google search, there are 10 romances in Fallout 4 of varying lengths. Jesus. Hmm. Cool. I'm going to have to play I don't, it again. I don't know how exact that is. Like I said, it was just a two-second Google search. And the first thing that popped up was ranking the top 10 Fallout 4 romances. It's one of them dog me. <laughs> I know, is Kelly Chambers in the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim, Tim does like his bestiality. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't be putting that out. Find me. <laughs> um, the only other bit of news I have, I don't have any. Does anybody else have any news? Um, Phantom Liberty's apparently got some crazy UI changes. They pretty much change up everything. And they've apparently got a new skill tree. And did you say it has a wanted system that actually works? Yep, they've got a wanted system that actually works. But there's going to be a skill tree now and like a gear system where all of the stuff you pick up is purely cosmetic. And then this other skill tree, or I think, is the thing that determines your stats. Isn't this just for the next gen, though? Is I know there's there's two patches coming out, isn't there? There's one that's just next gen only, and there's one yeah. for everybody. Yeah, it is just next gen only. I think. I need to. I need to upgrade. Desperately need to upgrade. Yeah, I think the game generally runs better on next gen as well. Can't. I can't decide though. I need either PlayStation Five or Xbox Series X. Well, you know there is always the cheaper option as well. There is the Series S, but obviously that's it, obviously the cheaper option is the digital only. That's the only thing. Mm. That's not next gen, though, is it? That's like the no series S is is next gen. 
Oh, is it? Uh, so the only other bit of news that I have, it's it's something for Manning, really. Um, I kind of teased you a couple of days ago with this. And like I say, I probably overhyped it, but I thought you'd want to know anyway. Uh, so the the uh, the last podcast, but one that we did was with Mac Walters. And I know you said that you were absolutely gutted you didn't get to ask him this one question. So when we was wrapping up, when I was wrapping up with Mac Walters and saying thank you very much for, for appearing on the podcast, and for anybody that's listening that hasn't listened to the Mac Walters interview, make sure you go back and listen to it because it's amazing. Um, but I asked him at any point during the development of two and three, was there any discussion of having Shepard stay with Cerberus instead of going back to the Alliance? That was the question, wasn't it, that you, you were gutted that you didn't ask? Yeah, I completely forgot to put that on the list when it should have been the first thing. <laughs> but so, then uh... I was like, I, I, I realized that would have probably required them needing to make two different Mass Effect 3s. So here's Max Walter's answer. He answered it in the email for me. He says, so, um, to answer the question, while we were certain pretty early on that uh, the elusive man would be a villain of Mass Effect 3, along with the Reapers, we discussed how close Shepard would be with Cerberus. And all I seem to recall is discussing a split between Cerberus where some followed Shepard followed the elusive man. But of course, ultimately, we found that putting some distance between Shepard allowed us to tell a more compelling story in the build-up to what everyone was already imagining would be the big battle at the end. So there's your answer. Okay, I mean, like, that makes sense. But like I said, it's just, like, my whole thing has always been, like I say, that you can, depending on how you play two, you can, like, cut every tie possible you have with the Alliance and Council and go, like, full-on Team Elusive Man. So, like, okay, but that, I mean, like, that's, that is cool that he did take the time to answer it, though. And I kind of figured it would have been something like that. But it's cool that they had that conversation, though, and it was an idea that they were considering. And the idea of some splitting, you know, kind of a split between some following Shepard and some following the Elusive Man sounds quite good as well. Which you kind of, he did kind of answer that with the the team question where you had to, you couldn't force any of the team that you built in Mass Effect 2 to be evil because there was always going to be somebody that that liked that character and it would be i know it's just like my whole thing was if you were never going to if you were always going to have shepherd come back to the alliance then why even have the option in two to let him get that to let shepherd get that close to the elusive man and cerberus in the first place and distance himself from anderson and hackett and the council and alliance and everyone else at the same time but yeah i mean like it Makes sense, especially if you read the description, the descriptions of the Cerberus characters in the multiplayer, it essentially says exactly what that email said, that they were super loyal to Cerberus, but eventually they just thought the elusive man was going too far, so they left. Does anybody ever some go? I mean, you're probably going to be too long for it. Um, the film right, what? Go. I've not, I've not heard of it. All right. If go. you ever get a chance, yeah. It came out in like, uh, 1999, I think it was. I want to say it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I saw it. If you ever get a chance, watch it, because it's a really, really good film. And it, it's basically a... Oh, wait, is that, the, is that the film where the guy gets stabbed with some kind of like synthetic drug, and if his heart rate goes below a certain thing, he dies? So he has to like keep his adrenaline up, otherwise he explodes or something? 
No. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. But um, from what I can remember, is it? It's it's about like of young teenage people. No, not young teenage. Like more like late teens, early twenties. And it's about a drug deal. And the whole film is it's split up into three different perspectives. So you see this drug deal ad or something, and you see three different perspectives of the same thing, but you, you need to see all three different versions that kind of meet in the middle to get the full picture of the story. So my first idea, my initial thought was, well, we could start off with the destruction of uh, the Normandy and each episode cater on one crew member and you'd see what happened to them in between Mass Effect 2 and 3. So one episode would be Garrus setting up his his mercenary group uh, on Amiga and then the next episode would be, uh, you know, again, you go back to the destruction of the Normandy, Caden uh, be reassigned and it would be all like the politics around his reassignment um and then you see you know, the, the next episode it'll go back to the, the destruction of the normandy again and you'll see how liara went off in search of of shepherd's body so that would be like that would be my tv show and i thought that you know but then i thought they're all separate there's nothing that that kind of comes into one it kind of rather than it starts with one and, and spreads outwards so then my but second you, idea i was just going to say but you can get anthology shows yeah a different story each episode like you know love death and robots comes to mind or um what was there was another one on netflix as well that was a really big deal but like there's there's all sorts of anthology shit series out there where it's just a different character a different story each episode yeah well yeah that 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 was like premise of of my my version of it um but then i thought well Maybe people wouldn't want to see that. Then I thought, well, what else could you do that was set in the same time period? So my second idea was that uh, you could show of Brooks, uh, who you remember from previous episode, is one of my favorite characters. And you could condense her uh, foundation stories into one full season. The, it, pretty much with the, the recovered uh, shepherd's body. Shepard would always be in like a casket and referred to as the commander. So you'd never know. It wouldn't be canon whether it was a female. It was just Shepard. We have Shepard. Shepard's you know, going to be worked on and we've got a heartbeat, but it's going to take how many years that they say, you know, oh, it must, it's going to take at least two years before we you know, can get Shepard back up. So you, you never know if it's, uh, you never actually see the body. You just see the chamber that the body's in. Um, and then they they explain how they're going to be making a clone, and you can you can have her then go from being the ultraverse loyalist uh, person uh, to realizing that she is you know just being phased out sort of thing. Um, you can have Kat Lang in there as your antagonist for her, and then right at the end, the way it will conclude is her stealing. The clone body and the attack, uh, the Cerberus base. So basically, it it starts with Mass Effect Two, and that's that's how it ends. So it'll be like one season thing, but the whole thing is kind of funneled so that it covers that time period where Shepard's 
out of the picture. The only kind of real choice that I would is that the uh, the council would have been saved um, because you can you could you wouldn't have to maybe if they're going to include the Vermeer survivor. I don't know. It, it really wouldn't matter which one they picked. I wouldn't really care. Um, but yeah, so then you you've got the whole circle of Cerberus and their uh, dealings within the universe. You could bring in, you could have cameos. You could go to Amiga and you could see Garrus and his mercenary group taking out uh, different, you know, the Blood Pack and the um, different groups that are on there. You could have her getting the dossiers ready, like in the Foundation comics. So she'll be re- researching all the different characters and that are going to be in mass effect 2 all just kind of everything neatly from start to finish of, of what happened in the two years that shepherd was uh was dead which one do you think would have would would you prefer to watch i was gonna say i like the brooks idea and i was gonna say would you start her like right after lang basically dumps her and the elusive man puts her under miranda's control or would you flesh out her backstory about like growing up on that asteroid and then like how she had to escape and ended up joining Cerberus in the first place, and then the whole nonsense with her and Thane on the Citadel. I I think I would start after the, the destruction of the Normandy. So she's already working for Cerberus. You can have like flashbacks and stuff, but yeah, I was I was going to ask about um, her backstory because I couldn't couldn't recall if there was a comic that had her backstory in. Uh, yes, Foundation One, I think it is, and it starts off with her being on. It's a mining colony, and she's made out to be a boy. Everyone thinks she's a boy. She's got a shaved head and that. Well, that was her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as bad as you thought Jack's childhood was, hers was arguably worse. Yeah. I do. I do think that maybe a TV show would help to explain because that that comic didn't really explain why she's a bit prejudiced though. As well, she's she seems more anti-alien than Ashley is, I think. I feel like a TV show might kind of give you an opportunity to do some flashbacks and explain why she does have that kind of belief that, you know, we need to focus on ourselves kind of thing. And she's she's a really capable spy as well, so you could have a lot of, you know, this kind of spy espionage kind of feel to the whole series. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the big difference between her and, say, like Ashley and Presley is that Ashley and Presley grow, whereas she's just so like distraught and bitter that even when she's presented with the opportunity, she just flat out refuses. She's like, no. And for the, the lead, I would pick with I would have gone with uh, um Nyris. She was uh in the latest James Bond. She was Money Penny. Um, okay. yeah, I thought she was actually really cool. And I was I was going to as a little bit of tongue in cheek. I was going to pick um, Train as the elusive man, but I haven't. It would it would have to be Sean Bean. It would have to be Sean Bean. If you were going to choose one of the Sheens, wouldn't you choose Martin Sheen? I mean, he's in his mid eighties now. I mean, I guess he could still yeah. do it, but he's get. Although, how old's James Earl Jones, and he's still doing Darth Vader? Oh, he's he's, he's quit now. The oh, uh, Obi, yeah, the Obi Wan TV show was his last one. Um, so. Apparently, his sound is is um, voice rights over, so they can still use his voice. So weird. We've got a big payout for you them to using his voice, but he's not actually doing it himself anymore. That's well, probably for the best. I mean, after watching um, 
even in Rogue One, listening to him talk, I mean, you could tell his voice wasn't as commanding as it used to be. No. What I was going to say about Charlie Sheen, though, was he does sound noticeably different from his dad. Yeah, yeah, no. I suppose in terms of looks, I can see it though. There's always Emilio Estevez too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that was that was my, my. I couldn't decide which one to go with. Do either of your shows have a, have a name? Uh, I didn't think of that. I, I tell you what, though, it would be a really great opportunity to just keep fleshing out Cerberus because whilst we did have more of a focus on them in two, it's like. One and three are so far separated from from Cerberus. There's like another perspective on Cerberus itself would be nice in 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 your Brooks story. Yeah, I I, I like the idea of expanding the universe. Like I mean, like the Witcher TV shows and that. I only watched. I think I watched the first like the about half of the second season because the. They're just trying to retell stories, and then they they change it. It doesn't. They want to make their own spin on it. And it's like, well, it didn't happen in the books or the games. So why why are you just trying to tell old stories? Tell something new. Make it so that if you want to know what happened in between here, you you know you can you can find that out rather than just guessing. I was just going to say my biggest issue with The Witcher. I mean, I agree with everything you said, but I mean, credit to the costume department and I know Henry Cavill is a quality actor, but I just couldn't buy him as Geralt. I oh, see I thought he was brilliant as Geralt. So yeah, that's my idea. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very interesting. I think the the only challenge with it would be tr- trying to make Brooks a bit more understandable because you can feel bad for her, but you have to find a way to root for her. She's the main character. Yeah. I suppose that you can't... I suppose that's I where mean, you could I mean, happen. You bring in Lengen, isn't it? You, you, know, you make him worse than she is. Yeah, I mean, but then again, in the comics, I mean, she was so crazy that he dumped her. I mean, like, imagine being so psychotic that even Lang was like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, though, Craig, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a movie or a TV show or a video game told a story from the perspective of the antagonist. And like, I, I hesitate to use the word villain, so I'll just say antagonist. And then you're like, oh, I never looked at it that way before. I mean, like, just look at like Thanos, just as a recent example. I bet you there were a lot of people who, th- who still think that those movies should have a- ended after Infinity War because he won. The universe was fixed. Endgame didn't even need to happen. Yeah, he wasn't the main character of that movie, though. He was still the antagonist. Yeah, but I mean, like, even though he was only in it, like, he wasn't the main character, but he was in it enough that you could understand his motivations. And you could see that he felt, like, empathy. Like, when he had to kill Gamora to get the one Infinity Stone. I mean, like, he, like, cried. And, like, he, you could feel empathy. And he, even if you disagreed with him and thought he was a quote-unquote bad guy, you could at least understand him. He wasn't, mm-hmm. like, it's like, or to use... Another fairly recent example in the Call of Duty games, Vladimir Makarov is just like a Saturday morning cartoon villain, whereas General Shepard, you understand why he is how he is. He's still the antagonist, but you get him, and you part of you feels bad for having to like for having to go against him. I'm going to use a goofy example here because what you're saying is make makes perfect sense to be honest. Um, there was an, uh, I don't know if you've seen Joker, but that that film's amazing. And it just it tries so hard to make you feel bad for this guy that becomes the Joker 
that you just kind of almost root for him in the end because it's like the backdrop of everything he's been through the world he lives in is so sad and broken that you kind of want him to just tear it a new one like yeah 100 percent. and 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 maybe seeing that kind of broken side of the mass effect galaxy would kind of i don't know make you empathize with brooks a little bit more maybe you show worse areas than omega i know that's why i was saying that even if it's only maybe done through flashbacks and you want if you want to start right where tim said he wanted to start you could still maybe occasionally have she could see something in like a dirty part of omega or in the lower wards on the citadel and then she could have like a flashback to something that happened in her childhood in that mining colony and then you could like tell her tell her childhood that way and be like oh yeah i don't think anyone could go through that childhood and come out at least not a little bit messed up yeah and I suppose as long as you at least feel sorry for her at the end of it, that's that's what's important. Even if you disagree with her, you want to make her come across as human, not just some, like I said, like Saturday morning cartoon villain. Okay, so it's interesting. So for my show idea, Tim, his shows were both completely different from than mine, but he hit on a lot of points for what I was thinking about with my show, especially when he brought up how in The Witcher, where he was like, Jesus Christ, do something new. Like, you have all the characters, but just write a new story. Don't just badly rehash and get things wrong. And then what scared me a little bit was when Craig mentioned anthologies. In my mind, I was like, I had, please don't say one show. There's one show. I, please don't say it. Please don't say it. Please don't say it. And thankfully, he didn't. Okay, so my show, first of all, the title is, it's a work in progress. So l feel free to laugh at the title if you want. Um, we can always change it down the road and post. <laughs> um, so my show is called The Hounds of uh, The Hounds of Hades. And basically, it's going to be an anthology show centered around a small Cerberus team. And it's going to be basically the main character is going to be... Okay, so the main character and his best friend were the people the elusive man sent to get uh, Shepard's body from Farron and Liara. And then... Like Tim mentioned, it's only going to ever just be referred to as Shepard. So that way you don't have to worry about race or gender or skin color or anything. It's just going to be Shepard. And so the main character and his best friend are going to be ex-Alliance who are also on the short list to be council specters, but who just got fed up and left. And it's going to be in an anthology sort of, because the show I was thinking of um, was the X-Files. So it's going to be basically set around Mass Effect to, in between one and two and then into, and then it's going to culminate right around the suicide mission. And it's so what it's going to, it's going to be like if anyone, Craig might be a little bit young, but I'm sure Tim remembers the X-Files. So it would be like, you'd have like your standard, like most of the episodes would be like individual standalone, but there would also be, overarching threads that would like progressively get tied together the longer the show went on until you got to the point of the suicide mission and what i would do is an interesting thing in in order to preserve continuity and the canon um, i know there's a lot of movies that have done this and tv shows but a big one that sticks out in my head was 
Um, have either of you seen The Fifth Element? Uh, yeah, many years ago. No. Yeah, so it's like, you know how Bruce Willis's character and Gary Oldman's character, the good guy and the bad guy, they're both in the movie about 50-50, but they never actually interact with each other. So it'll be like every episode, either the Cerberus team will get somewhere five minutes before Shepard and his team do, or they'll get somewhere five minutes after Shepard and his team left. So that way you can have elements from the games, like, you know, say the Quarian being harassed by CSEC in the Citadel, um, Jari Station with the Rogue VI. So like they could both be trying to do the same missions, but they just, one would always get there five minutes before the other, whether it was Shepard or whether it was the Cerberus team. And then meanwhile, so you could have all these standalone episodes. And then meanwhile, there would always be every so often like core episodes where stuff would like start tying the plot together without doing anything to break canon as it eventually led towards the suicide mission. I, I, I quite like that idea. Is it kind of like a buddy cop show then with them being friends? Yeah, so basically, so there's the main character. Um, I'll get to the who I have for the casting later. So basically, the main character is an analog to Shepard. His best friend is an analog to Garrus. Um, he has an, the main character has an Asari girlfriend who was an ex-Eclipse assassin who, while he was leading a raid on Ilium, long story short, uh, she gets taken prisoner, and then over the course of several months, she gives them a bunch of intel on Eclipse in exchange for her life, and then over the course of several months, they end up falling in love. And then there's his Cerberus CEO commander would be like an analog to Anderson, and then whether or not it's Martin Sheen, I still haven't worked that part out, then that CEO's boss would be directly the elusive man. Huh. Would that work in the, the cell? Yeah, so it's like I'm tweaking it a little bit. So basically what I'm saying is like this CEO would be like, for lack of a better term, the elusive man's right hand. And then this, the protagonist and his friend and his small team would be kind of on the same level as Kai Lang, where Lang's not in a cell. He just does jobs specifically for the elusive man. So like he'd be like a step down. So it'd be like him. Then above him would be his CEO, which is like the elusive man's best friend. And then above that CEO is the elusive man. So it's like his small team isn't really part of a cell. They just, if the elusive man needs something done, they go do it. So it'd be like the Cerberus version of the A-team. <laughs> That'd be quite cool. For lack of better of a better analogy, yeah, but I like just that. thought it would be interesting. Like you could have like the same kind of dynamic as like, so as like whereas there's Shepard, Garrus, and Liara on the Alliance side, then in this you could have the Cerberus dude, his best friend, and then his Asari girlfriend would be analogs for Shepard, Garrus, and Liara, but on the Cerberus side. And then there's a Cerberus version of Anderson. And then I guess you could say the elusive man would be like a Cerberus version of Hackett, but even probably even more powerful. Yeah, I see that being quite interesting. Like, that's what I mean. Like, you could, and that's why I said you could protect the canon by, again, never having this guy and Shepard ever meet each other. They'd always be, he'd always be five minutes ahead of Shepard, or Shepard would be five minutes ahead of him. And you could like fill in the blanks because what I was thinking is like the main stories, like all the recruitment, all the loyalty missions, all the quote big stories are all done, however you handle them. But a lot of the smaller side stories, like I said, that Quarian 
Jari Station, some of the stuff like where the Blue Suns are trying to kidnap ships. Like a lot of the smaller side quests, I thought could use some more love. So that's why more like because it's like the X File. You the X Files used to have like those quote unquote Monster of the Week episodes that had nothing to do with anything. They were just episodes. But then there would always be every now and then there'd be episodes that would tie into something bigger. So that was again just the alien my ones. Theory. They were the worst ones, to be fair. Which one? Oh, the ones that tied into something bigger. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 they kept it at, at just like the random files and stuff. I mean, yes, I I would agree with you. Like, I love the random ones where like, oh, this week there's a werewolf. Oh, next week there's some albino person who drinks people's blood. I mean, like, those were exciting. And I looked hmm. forward to those more than the big overarching ones. But like, I, I think, like I said, this is just something I threw together in a couple hours. But I think there's a way you could tidy it up to make it coherent. Yeah, I do. I like the idea of, of expanding on the smaller stories and that. Yeah, exactly. And again, I tried to like again make analogs for the characters that everyone knows and loves, like Garrus, Liara, Shepard, etc., Anderson. But and then, in addition to what you were saying with your Brooks idea, is this would it would be the same dynamic, but it would it would be from the Cerberus side, and it could flesh out Cerberus, and you could go as the show progressed you could find out more about Cerberus, just like how you find out so much about the Alliance and Council in the games. And sorry, Craig, I think I cut you off. Um, I was just going to say, I, I was. I think it's really interesting, and you don't necessarily have to tie it into just side missions. You can just create whole other stories that just expand the universe. Oh, no, 100%. It's just I was using side missions as a jumping off point because so many of them in Mass Effect 2 are you land on a planet, you shoot things for 15 minutes, you pick up a MacGuffin, and then you leave and then rinse and repeat 35 more times. <laughs> but some of them, if you like read like the mission descriptions of them while you're landing, like they're in interesting locations and some of the in like some of them sound like like just as much as everyone hates the firewalker missions there's some actually entertaining and interesting lore and stuff going on there so like just i feel like you could build on that and then of course you're free to make up your own stuff at the same time as well yeah but i think it's i think there's there's some really cool interesting stuff there to be honest and i gotta be honest i'm not usually a fan of like um just crime drama stuff but like if it was set in the mass effect universe i'd be way more interested well i wouldn't really call it so much crime drama so much as it would be like every episode would like start with like the elusive man making a phone call to his anderson analog saying i've got info and details on x y and z send your team to go deal with it kind of thing it would be more like mercenaries than it would be like a cops and robbers thing. Okay, so you, you're saying it would be more like a thriller. Yeah, it would be like yeah, it would be thing. more. It would be like a gritty, like like adults. Like adults only is the wrong word, but like I don't want to just be like cliche and say like Game of Thrones in space, but it would be like that kind of thing. It would be like the kind of show that could only be on HBO because like you would not want kids to see it. And I would at the same time try to make the Cerberus characters while they wouldn't be they would definitely not be good. I would also try to make them not like outright cartoonishly evil either. Like try to find that happy balance. Yeah. And now you're going to laugh at me for my casting choices, 
Um, so make sure you're sitting down and make sure you're not drinking tea because you might spit it out. <laughs> um, so for the main guy, I have Adam Driver. I'll pause while you laugh. <laughs> um, what was for he in? his best for sorry. What was he in? Star Wars. He was Kylo Ren. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I knew that. Um, for his best friend, I have Jason Momoa. Um, for oh. his Asari girlfriend, I have this one I might have to explain to you, but you might not have heard of. I have Matilda Lutz. I'm not familiar with that one. She's an Italian actress who's been in a lot of like revenge thriller horror type movies. Uh, you'd probably know her face if you saw her. You just probably wouldn't know her name. But she's been in a lot of stuff. Would you say the name? Um, Matilda Lutz. I'll pause while Craig runs off and Googles her name now. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Mac Walters, and you're listening to the Lazarus Project podcast. For the Cerberus CEO, I have Javier Bardem. And then the elusive man, I have Martin Sheen with a question mark, because again, he's in his mid 80s, and I don't know if he'd want to do it. But like whether it be Charlie Sheen or I wouldn't put Sean Bean, but I'm sure we could figure out <laughs> some way to make it work. <laughs> You've got to have Sean Bean there somehow. No, I mean, I'm sure we could work him in somewhere. He could be in one of the, I'm sure we, he could be like one of the contact, Cerberus contacts in one of the episodes. He could get blown up and fall out an airlock or something. I can kind of see you're a, a, a sorry type character. I don't think I recognize her, but I can see it. I think the biggest movie she was in, at least the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head was 2017's, the movie was literally just called Revenge. And there was one called I Am Vengeance. Oh, actually, yeah, there is a revenge one. Sorry. Um, I haven't seen that, though. So that is my idea for a crazy 18-plus expanding on Cerberus idea for a TV show that tries to have anal Cerberus versions of popular characters from the game, popular uh, good guys from the game, and then... There could be like, the, and then I try to also add in like, again, like the little cat and mouse aspect where like every episode you're wondering, they never actually interact with each other. So every episode you're wondering, oh, is Shepard going to get there first? Or is this guy going to get there first? And so just like, it's it, like it builds like a little bit of suspense every episode. Like you might know what's going to happen, but you're like, ooh, they're both going. Who's going to get there? The only thing you know is they're not going to see each other. Although I don't know if that maybe takes out some of the suspense, knowing that there's never going to be a confrontation. I think you could still throw in other characters for them to have confrontations with. When, yeah, when I think, you want... like, yeah, you could, you could have, like, James or Ashley or Caden or Garrus or whatever. I would guess, like, the only main thing is, like, Shepard would never be able to be on screen, just to keep the canon intact. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you want... You say like you, your best friends are both like male. Wouldn't you want a male and a female to give you that bit of? Well, I thought I did that with him having the Asari girlfriend who actually ends up joining Cerberus and then comes out on the missions with them. Like she's a former Eclipse assassin, so she knows how to handle guns and firearms and stuff. And she's a biotic, obviously. Because I think the thing is, like a male and a female. But if I did. I would want it to be kind of like a Chris and Jill kind of situation from Resident Evil, where they're like, one's a guy and one's a girl, but there's like nothing sexual there. They're just completely professional. 
Yeah. I like it, though. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Do you have an idea of how long the series would be? Do you think it would be like a long, a long-running thing like X-Files? Well, I mean, well, that's just the thing is, I mean, like, I don't know. I was trying to think in my head, like, realistically, like, you could do, because, I mean, if you ended the first season on, like, right when the Normandy, if, like, the last scene of the first season was right when the Normandy's jumping through the Omega-4 relay, that would be a sweet cliffhanger place to stop to lead into season two. But at the same time, I don't know, do you think you could fit all of Mass Effect 2 into, say, one... I don't know what even is a TV series now, like 16 or 17 episodes. Like, could you fit all of Mass Effect 2 into that? Even if they're all hour-long episodes, could you fit Mass Effect 2 into 17 hours? Just picking a random number? If you stuck to the main story and and chop stuff out, I should imagine so. Because to me, I feel like you would almost need two seasons. But again, like because I don't want... You wouldn't want it to be rushed, but at the same time, you wouldn't want it to be so long that people would lose interest. So that was the kind of thing where I was getting hung up. Yeah. Because I feel like a, a show like that, you would like want, I don't know if marinate's the right word, but you'd like want to like let it kind of set in and like let people take the week to figure out, oh, like, you know, like have like their quote unquote water cooler talk and be like, oh, what did you think about this? Or, or oh, when that, like with Game of Thrones, like after the episode, like people spent the entire week just nonstop, never shutting up about it. Yeah, they yeah. whole, whole extra episodes, didn't they? It sounds like you've got so many new characters in there, though. I feel like it should be at least three seasons, to be honest, because I don't know. Well, I mean, the base the base cast is just the dude, his best friend, his Asari girlfriend, and his CEO. So there's only going to be... Every episode is only going to have four main characters that are going to always be in every episode. Everyone else is just going to be cameos, or maybe random pop-ups of the elusive man. But other than that, it's just going to be like the four characters and then just like interchangeable Cerberus grunts to fill out the team for like the gun for anything that needs to do with gunplay or whatever. Mm. Cause that's the thing too. Cause I definitely thought about that as I mean, like, if you have a million characters, like, especially like if you included like say the entire mass effect two roster, like Shepard plus 12 squad mates plus Kelly plus Joker, plus everyone else on the ship. I'm like, it would have to be like 10 seasons just to get to know everybody. So I'm like, I think four is good. You got the boss, and then the two guys and his girlfriend, and then everyone else is just servers, grunts who never take their helmets off. Could work. You, yeah. can, you can use them for, uh, for cannon fodder then, can't you? So don't take the helmets off. Yeah, and then, like I said, that way you can just focus on the four main characters and how they interact with each other and everything else. And then like you can allude and like you can have cameos from the games. Like Anderson could be there, Hackett could be there, either Caden or Ashley, Garrus, Tally, Liara, whoever. It's just as long the only big thing was Shepard would never have to be on screen. Just to preserve the canon, like I said. Yeah. I I think it's quite cool. I I just mean like if I grew to like characters I wanted them on screen for longer. No, and that's like like you said, is like I don't know if you could fit all of Mass Effect Two into one season, and then also properly develop all four characters and their relationships and everything else. Because like, like the big thing, um, I don't think I mentioned like so. The big thing to try to make you feel empathy for my protagonist is once his actual family finds out that he left the Alliance to join Cerberus, especially after he was almost a Spectre. 
they just like flat out disown him and refuse to ever talk to him. So now his best friend and his Asari girlfriend are like his new brother and sister or not sister, but brother and love interest. And then his Cerberus CEO is like his new dad. So he's like, he's trying to like adapt to his new quote family because his old one wants nothing to do with him and won't return his calls. So, I mean, like there's that kind of a humanizing aspect too, which I mean, you've got to figure like in my head anyway, a lot of people who do leave the Alliance for Cerberus probably go through something similar. So I thought that would be an interesting story arc that you could go through. Like he could be depressed and then he's like, well, I'm so glad I have you guys, but I, he would constantly be missing his actual family as much as he loves his new family kind of thing. Do you think that would be like a element of like flashbacks and things? Oh, for sure. Like a hundred percent. Just like I suggested with Tim doing flashbacks to Maya's childhood. Yeah. As I said before, I think it sounds really cool. Well, thank you. And thanks. I think Tim said he thought he liked it too. So thank you as well, Tim. Yeah, you're welcome. No, it sounds good. I'd watch it. Uh, go on then, Craig. Are you, uh, you said that you uh, you have something that it's going quite... to be the Mass Effect version of EastEnders. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um, you guys were talking so much about um, preserving the canon and stuff, and I'm just going to split it wide open and destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if done right, that could 100 percent work. Because I'm I'm basic. Because I basically, I think I I did what. Tim did, and I misinterpreted what we were going to be doing. Um, I kind of just made a show that is literally an adaptation of the games and changed it to fit a TV show format, because I know you guys haven't seen The Last of Us series, but one of the great things that does is it uses the TV series format to make certain aspects of the story better, like show a different point of view and develop other characters who previously were just enemies you shoot. Um, and I wanted to try and do something like that with a TV show. And like, say we, I can imagine, and I'm, I'm imagining people already hate me for saying this, but I would change the opening to focus on Eden Prime for the start of the story. So you've got like a little bit of Ashley, um, and not Ashley, yeah, Ashley and her squad and the settlement on Eden Prime. And you've got a little bit of the characters who are trying to survive and thrive and build their community, I suppose, on that planet. And and then it kind of hits you, like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes in or something. And that's when the Geth come in and you see the slaughter and everything. And um that's what really starts to like raise questions and things and makes you wonder what the hell's going on. Like, I think you could really do something to make that just a terrifying scene of all these people getting slaughtered. Um, and then you would lead that into the distress call or rather the end of the distress call and Shepard receiving it. And as I said about me breaking canon, not breaking canon necessarily, but establishing a canon where Shepard is female Shepard, and played by Jennifer Hale. Ah, Commander Shepard! I didn't realize you were coming too! Perfect timing, perfect timing! You can play yourself! Attention! The Prothean is on set! Someone tell the stunt double he's been demoted! We have the real Shepard now! And I'm sorry, but that's all I can really imagine. 
and I just love Jennifer Hale's voice too much to not use her. And then you go into, let's just fast forward to, they go onto Eden Prime, stuff happens, blah, 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 and they encounter the beacon. The beacon in my series is essentially your window into all the possibilities of Mass Effect. The beacon hits Shepard and you see all of the things that could happen in a person's playthrough. You suddenly see like um, so-and-so character, like Liara gets killed on a run to a beam or something, but it looks really ominous. Like it looks like a destroyed planet, which, you know, it essentially is, it's Earth. Um, you see, I don't know, um, the catalyst destroying life on certain planets. You see all of this like ominous stuff of possibilities that could happen in a game's playthrough. But that's not all stuff that you see in the TV show. That's just maybe a few of them are things that actually happen in the show. And that's just kind of setting the stage for, oh my God, are these things from the game going to happen or are they not? But it's like it's almost canonizing but not canonizing all of those events. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Were you going to say something there, Manny? I was just going to say, if you're going to be focusing a lot on Eden Prime, um, would you be instead of like, would you be instead of starting, say, right with Ashley and her squad? I mean, would you be interested then in going back a little bit even further and like, because um, you could have you could explore Jenkins a little bit more too? Because for some reason, everyone seems to love him, even though he's only in the game for forty-five seconds. <laughs> but that's like where he's literally from. Um. I mean, maybe a hint at people who knew Jenkins or something, but like, it's not really going to be a strong focus of the series. Fair enough. I got to be um, honest. When you said that you were going to be focusing on Eden Prime and splitting the canon right op wide open, part of my head immediately jumped to, "Oh my God, he's going to have it when they dig up the beacon. Instead of a beacon, it's going to be a marker from Dead Space." No, I meant like it's more going to be a straight adaptation, and certain things are going to be canonized or not canonized. No, no, I know, I get that 100%. It's just my mind works in funny ways. <laughs> in terms of, like, major decisions, though, Ashley lives and Caden dies, because, like, I just think Ashley's a way more interesting character, and I think her arc's way more interesting, and multiple reasons there, I think. Um, I think there's potential for a lot more drama as well, because you've got clashing personalities there. You've got Ashley with a bit more of a prejudiced belief, and I think you could really go for some argument scenes there with them with them debating on different choices. Rex lives is another one, because, I mean, I just don't see the trilogy without Rex. I mean, I know it's possible, but it just doesn't feel right to not have him for the... Because I would imagine this series would be the trilogy, but it would be split up into seasons. So season one would be the first game, season two would be the second, etc. Um, Udina becomes the counsellor um, just because I think choosing Anderson doesn't have any impact in the game anyway and I think if you think about Shepard and how much he or she has experienced in terms of politics and the BS and the whatever I think it makes sense for her to just be like screw it, I don't care about politics you decide amongst yourselves who's in charge and then Udina ends up being in charge I think that just ties up a lot of loose ends and issues with, you know, the third game where Anderson's just mysteriously not counsellor. 
which I'm sure is explained in the Codex entry. <laughs> I always pick um, pick Udina, to be fair. I do too. Well, actually, no, what I do is I tell them, you at the I pick the middle option, which is like, screw you guys, I'm going to go stop the Reapers, you fight amongst yourselves. And then when I get to the comic book part in Ma at the start of Mass Effect 2, then I pick Udina. For all the reasons Craig and Tim basically just both said. But, um, I will say though, I like your idea though about having, say, Ashley get into like more arguments and having clashing personalities. Because one thing in Mass Effect One I always found really interesting is like when you go down to talk to Ashley, she'll have like these open and frank and honest conversations about how she doesn't trust Rex and Garrus, and be very blunt about it when Rex and Garrus are literally both like six feet away from her. <laughs> and they obviously are hearing all this, and given both of their personalities, especially Rex's, the fact no one ever like confronts her on it, and like Shepard never has to defuse a fight, I always kind of found weird. I'll be honest, when I said that, I was thinking about an argument between Shepard and Ashley, but that's a really good point, like having having her argue with like Rex or Garrus would would be really interesting, or seeing a full blown argument with Liara because I know she. In the games, especially, doesn't like Liara. I still haven't figured out why, but in the first game, for whatever reason, Tally is the only alien that she doesn't outright distrust. She doesn't really talk about Tally, does she? No, that's what I mean. She specifically, she flat out says that she doesn't trust Rex or Garrus and doesn't want them, doesn't think they should be able to be snooping around engineering. And then she just flat out cannot stand Liara, especially if you're trying to romance her. She's like, why would you do that? You're going to like get space gonorrhea or something. It's just like she just hates Liara. But for whatever, she just is cool with Tally. Well, yeah, yeah Liara is a bit know-it-all, isn't she? Whereas Tally is more innocent and just kind yeah. of... Do you want me to go through all of the crazy canon decisions I made? or should I... Yeah, go for it. Yeah, please do. Um, so I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit because I don't think there's really many other major decisions in the first game, but all, all that kind of argument drama. Do you save the Rachni Queen? Yes, Shepard spares the Rachni Queen, just because I think you've, you've got to have a little bit of, I don't know, I feel like this Shepard's going to be going to trust that the Rachni won't make the same mistake twice. Skipping ahead though to the, to the second game. I am going to have some companions die in the suicide mission just because I think there has to be some sacrifice for it to get done. And Manning, you're not going to be too happy with me. <laughs> Saeed dies. <laughs> Does he at least go out in a blaze of glory, glory or is your shepherd going to be a dick and leave him under that burning log on Zoria? No, he dies during the suicide mission. He doesn't die in there. He dies during the suicide mission. Um, and basically, I'm, I'm probably I, it's probably wrong to just skip so far ahead to the end, but just Zaid, Kasumi, and Samara they die sacrificing themselves and collect a homeworld to get everyone off. Because for Zaid, I think it makes perfect sense because Zaid is a very um, selfish, hard ass type character who seems like he doesn't care about anybody. And I think having him do something so selfless would be a perfect way to round him off. So he's going to be like your Boromir? 
I've seen Lord of the Rings once, but yeah, sure. The guy who's like, he's trying to steal the ring for the entire movie, and then at the very end, he, he sacrifices himself and dies, holding off the orcs long enough for Frodo to get away. I think I know the one, yeah. Yeah. Sean yeah. Bean. <laughs> oh, right, okay. You should have said Sean Bean. Yeah, it is basically Sean Bean. Um, Kasumi, I basically just killed off because I don't think she's that interesting in the third game, and I feel like more than one person should die in the suicide mission. And Samara, I was kind of going back and forth on. But I just think her actions in the third game are kind of dumb. So I'll kill her in the second game. In the second series, or the second season, rather. Is your shepherd going to go into the suicide mission with everyone's loyalty, or is there going to be some disloyal people just to spice things up? Well, the loyalty missions thing is very interesting. I think it's really difficult deciding how all of that gets worked in. I suppose Shepard probably would help all of them, I think. But it wouldn't it, it doesn't work on a loyalty system in the series, so she would do all of these things to help people, but certain characters would still die, like Zaid would still die, Samara would still die. But Shepard would still do these things to help these people. Because on a, se a series perspective as well, you need as much time as you can with these characters, especially if they're going to die, don't you? Otherwise, their death doesn't really carry much weight. Oh, no, 100%. And then, like, that's the thing, too, is you can have everybody's loyalty and still lose almost everyone in the mission if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And also, I'm going to kill Kelly and Gabby in <gasps> season two as well. Can't kill Kelly. Yeah, what are you going to do if you ever get a Varen on the ship? He's going to be lonely. Who's going to look after your fish? Yeah, well, she, this shepherd doesn't have fish in the series, Tim. <laughs> they don't have fish. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just think like having Gabby die is just such a. I don't know. I just, I found it so much more interesting when Ken had that dynamic with her. Like he was so close to her and then lost her. It was like it was so sad, but I think. It was like you could have actually had conversations with him about what that was like, losing somebody who you knew so well or you were so close with. And I just feel like you need to go into Mass Effect 3 feeling like anybody could go out, anybody could die. I've never had to that. To be fair, never, having Gabby die her. and then... Sorry. So I've never done that. I've never had Gabby die. If you have Gabby die but save Ken, he's like clinically depressed to the point where it's like it's just like like i i don't even know what the right words to describe the emotions for how depressed he is in the third game are yeah he's very quiet from what i remember you know what you need to do just for an easter egg have fish and then during like one random episode have garris radio shepherd and say shepherd can i t do you have a minute i need to talk to you about something and then have shepherd say Gar can i wait a bit garris i'm in the middle of feeding my fish and then when garris like is like dot 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 shepherd can be like yeah that's effing annoying isn't it yeah love it greatest easter egg ever <laughs> i'm also going to tell you guys that there's a very controversial choice in mass effect 2 as well shepherd's going to choose to brainwash the geth not not destroy the heretics but to reprogram them that's worse than death yeah 
But the if thing this is, was Dragon Age, you'd be like, you're talking about making an entire race tranquil. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, I feel like there's something really interesting there. Like, um, Shepard won't see it that way when she decides to do that. She'll she'll see it as the alternative to killing them. She she won't think about the fact that they actually have minds and that the minds have developed and whatever. She won't see it that way yet. And to this day, I will never understand how that's a paragon decision. Yeah, it's, it is a strange one. But I think that's what motivates Shepard's decisions going to the third game, where she's very much reconsidering things because legions then said things to her like um the geth can become fully formed ai and she starts realizing oh my god i brainwashed those geth and then maybe there's a conversation about that in the series in the third season and she's thinking i can't do i can't do wrong by geth again i can't they've suffered enough kind of thing so does your shepherd then what's the right way to put this um is she worried then at all that the Geth are only siding with her because the Reapers are a bigger threat and that once the Reapers are gone, they might rebel and decide that they don't like organics anymore? Mm. I would be surprised. if I, I think that should be a conversation to have in the series, but I think... No, I, I think she's very much... I don't know. I suppose when you put that into a series, it has to be a conversation or at least something people consider. But I think her guilt kind of clouds her judgment a little bit, where she's just kind of like, I've done them so wrong in my decision, like previously, like a few months ago, where, whenever it was. Um, I have to trust that they can make their own decisions, regardless of what those decisions are. So, you know, I don't know, like, just working with them and not stabbing them in the back or anything. And maybe, maybe she would consider that they might betray them later down the line, but they're just like people, you know, they'll act differently depending on what the geth, who, what geth it is, I think. They have independent thought. Um, but anyway, moving into the third game. Sorry, because I know I've written so much. Shepard cures the genophage. Um, Shepard ends the war between the geth and Corians peacefully. Uh, Miranda dies just because, <gasps> yeah. I just, I just think her dying, saving her sister, is a little bit poetic, a little bit nice. And I think for Mass Effect Three, for you to really feel Mass Effect Three, you have to lose so much, and that's why I'm going a little bit hardcore with it. Real quick, when you when your shepherd cures the genophage, does Eve live or die? Because you can you can cure the genophage, but still have Bakara die. I think Eve would actually live. I think she's too symbolic to kill off. Um, but in terms of characters that have to die, like um, curing the genophage, Morden obviously has to die. Uh, Thane has to die, and it's those deaths on top of the ones in two that really make you feel like it's hitting home for Shepard and it's affecting Shepard personally. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this as well, but Shepard romances Liara in the series. Um, she's in a relationship with Liara. I mean, that's, I think from the outset, that was the romance the developers wanted you to go with. So I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, Tally and Garrus do get together in the series as well, just because I think it seems so perfect. 
to do a series where you can show a little bit more of that rather than just a little thing you discover in the game. Does Kai Lang kill Thane, or do you let Thane die in the hospital bed? Well, I mean, isn't it always the same? Isn't Kai Lang always the one that kills him? No, in Mass Effect 3, if Thane lives in 2, if you completely ignore him in the hospital and never talk to him once, he dies in his bed, and then Kirihi, then Lang either kills Kirihi, or if Kirihi died in the first game, then Lang kills, actually does kill the counselor. Yeah, yeah no, um... Thane still dies, like, protecting the counselor. Like, he, he, he dies fighting Kylo. And in terms of the Citadel DLC, and you'll both hate me for saying this, the Citadel DLC doesn't exist. <gasps> I'm sorry, but in my series, that just didn't happen. No! It's just too weird, too wacky, and I think it raises too many <laughs> questions. What about Omega and Leviathan? And I guess is Javik there also? Has some good questions. I think. How can you not have thought of these? DLC. <laughs> it's DLC content. Um, yeah, but I want my HP Lovecraft monsters. <laughs> Give me Cthulhu. Um, I'm going to say Leviathan isn't in the series. I'm going to say Javik isn't in the series. And I'm going to say the events of Omega do happen. Because I just think Leviathan is too overpowered. Like, I always thought it was strange that Leviathan couldn't just control all the Reapers in that final battle. Yeah, I, I thought... Well, if you read the war asset for what they for what it is, that's essentially what they do. So how can they not just win the war instantly? Because they have to, the Reapers have to be in close proximity to those shards or fragments or whatever they call them. They just mass-dominate all the generic Reaper troops and turn them against each other. But the actual Reapers themselves have to be in close proximity to those shards or fragments in order for them to be strong, have a strong enough reach or whatever to take them out. Mm. It just does feel a little bit like too much of a divergence from like, it, it, it feels it's like a DLC that feels a lot like a DLC. And I don't know if it would fit into a series without feeling like too much of a, you just don't want Cthulhu in your TV show. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I just I just think the the Citadel DLC is just too too weird, and I love it, but it's just like I don't believe that even if Shepard needed a break, that she would just have a party with her friends while the Reapers are ravaging the the galaxy, you know. <laughs> Wait, so then you're completely discounting the happy ending mod then? Um, how's that? Where the Citadel deal, where the where the party is the ending, and you just ignore Chrono Station and Priority Earth. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm 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 discounting the the happy ending mod. My final one, my final controversial. Actually, Grunt dies as well. Grunt Grunt dies. Um, getting the Rachni Queen out of that cave is another thing. Just because I think that sacrifice scene with Grunt is so epic, it would be so. It just does. It just. Whilst I'm glad to see him alive at the end of it, I feel like it was such a dramatic scene to then round off by killing him. It felt just right that that's the point of that scene, to have him die heroically. Quick interjection, but can I just say that I 100% agree with you, and I wish they'd done the same thing with Jacob's mission, where like mm -hmm. if he ended Mass Effect 2 not loyal, he died making sure you could get all the scientists and Bryn out in his mission. 
the fact that he can't die in that mission just always kind of irked me or rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, because he even gets shot, so it wouldn't be a hard thing to do. Mm. I was I was really really touched um, with Grunt's final mission where he, uh, he sacrifices himself. He goes flying over the edge. I thought, oh, that was beautiful. You know, he, he sacrificed himself to save you and is is you know gone out in a blaze of glory. And then like thirty seconds later, he climbs back up and I'm like, oh yeah, well that killed it then. Your twist endings would be Marauder Shield kills Shepard. <laughs> I will be honest, I went really back and forth on this. But I just felt like with how much Shepard went through with AI, this version of Shepard, she she did such a role reversal about like reconsidering her choice in the second season. Um she wouldn't she wouldn't kill all synthetic life. She wouldn't choose destroy. She would choose synthesis because it just feels right. And whilst, yeah, Manning, I know your argument about ramifications and not everyone wanting that to happen. I think it's, I don't know, it feels like the kind of ending that you're leading towards, I suppose, in this story, at least in the show story. I have no issues with the synthesis ending. Like on paper, if it was just me, I would pick it every time. It's just like I like I've said, like I have issues with doing that to literally trillions of other people. But I get I like the synthesis ending. I was just worried you're gonna be like, I made peace on Ranok, and then half an hour later I blew up to Geth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would really piss people off, I'd imagine. But yeah, that's that's essentially how it ends but little things here and there like what i said about eden prime fleshing out those those areas you know having that expand the galaxy a little bit more and maybe even spending a bit more time on earth you know like we see we don't we see earth for like all of five seconds in the third game i will say i mean i guess it was probably a story thing to like expand the galaxy and you can go out everywhere but i will say that not counting spending 20 minutes on the moon in the first game, it's kind of weird that you'd never actually set foot on Earth until the third game when you're already a couple hundred hours in. Yeah, I just mean in like terms of seeing humans as well, like humans on Earth living their everyday life um, before the Reaper War. Like, I know that wouldn't be the most exciting thing to see, but just seeing little bits about I don't know the, the the politics of the alliance being run from Earth for a little bit before we get to the Reaper invasion. No, I mean like that's good world building too. I 100% agree. It's like to me anyway. Others can feel free to disagree, but for me, a lot of the fun part of the reason I read all the Codex entries and some of the most fun missions for me are like the little goofy side missions that have like no purpose other than to give you like 50 experience. Like going to find that Krogan of fish or going grocery shopping for Mess Sergeant Gardner. I mean, just little teensy tiny little things like that. Like that's such good world building. And then reading the codex. It's like that's like I wanna for something that like I'm this invested in, like the thousands of hours I put in, I wanna know as much about the world as I can. So I mean like stuff like that I love. But yeah, that's my very overly fleshed out story idea, which is obviously not very original either. <laughs> 
I I'm I'm not gonna lie. I would I would find it hot shit mainly because you you make your own choices in the game and you're forcing choices on me. So if I'm doing a playthrough and it's it's forced choices on me, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to read it because it doesn't fit my my personal canon of, of what I've done. So if I wanted to watch your TV show, I would be, I'd have to separate it in my head. There's like, this isn't part of my, my, my law. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, with the, like the, the, um, the net, the, uh, last of us show, because they're linear stories, it doesn't really matter to me. I can watch that and I'm like, well, that's just another text on the same but whereas as mass effect you're making your own choices i feel it's it's different well yeah that's that's what i was saying about (laughs) my kind of misinterpretation about our conversation today like i thought it was it was going to be uh what what would we establish as canon in our version of an adaptation and so i was just taking it as if we had to this is the kind of stuff that i think would play out Uh, oh okay but like also i think the last of us did a great thing in that because um i think neil Druckmann said this which was his reasoning for the series was there are people in their lives who will never pick up a controller and that's what i think my mass effect series would be aimed at the people who haven't really played the games haven't played the mass effect games and this is just the story for them and it's got a little bit extra things that are more to add things for the people who have played the games but it's like central core is also introducing the story to new people. Yeah, that's fair. See, and like the thing is, is I agree with what Tim's saying, but at the same time, sorry, did I cut out there? No, no. Oh, okay. That was weird. Anyway, I was just gonna say, I agree with what Tim's saying, but at the same time, I can also separate art from the artist. So I might watch it and say, well, I sabotaged a genophage and I always picked a control ending. But at the same time, as long as it's competently told and entertaining and I feel invested in like leading up to it, I'm not going to, even though I've played the games 45 times, I'm not going to necessarily know what decisions Shepard's going to pick until they happen. And say, if Shepard picks the synthesis ending and cures the genophage, I'll be like, well, I always sabotage it and I always pick control. But as long as the story's interesting, I mean, like, I could still get enjoyment out of it. Mm. And I think as well, like, um, that little thing I said about, like, the beacon and the vision and showing some things that don't actually happen in the story, it's almost like what you're saying, Manning, where people who have played the game are wondering how it's going to play out this time around. But it's also embracing all of those things and saying these things could happen. No, I know. And, like, the other thing, too, is... Like, for people who either, for one reason or another, just don't play video games but have heard about them or are intrigued, they might watch just to say, oh, so this is, like, I've seen commercials for this or I've seen this on shelves and advertisements and toys and collectibles and figurines and T-shirts and jackets and all this stuff. Like, it might not be Star Wars, but I want to see what's going on here. Like, what's all the hype about kind of thing. Mm. And I think there's just a lot of potential to flesh out the base story there as well. 
And I guess, and then, oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, and as you said about like having the Mass Effect 1 companions actually talk to each other as well, there's some great potential there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I would like the fact, like, Garrus, I could maybe see because even though he's got like, he's definitely got some, like, he's not going to take things lying down, but he's a little bit more reserved. But I mean, like, when Ashley's flat out, like, flat out says, I don't trust Rex, and he's like 10 feet away from her, the fact that Rex, of all people, doesn't get in her face and say, you want to say that again or something like that? And then Shepard would have to be like, whoa, 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 calm down, guys. We're all on the same side here kind of thing. Always confused me. Mm. And I was just going to say, just because we've been talking about The Last of Us for a while, if the the choice at the end of the first game, if there was a choice, would you leave Ellie with the fireflies, or would you do go full Joel and do what he do, actually does in the game? I'd probably go full Joel. I think just because I don't have a child of my own, I would leave her with the fireflies. See, like, that's such a tough call. I mean, on one hand, he's not she's not really his kid. But on the other hand, and I mean, like, in that we're talking about saving the entire human race. But on the other hand, she's she is basically his kid without just she's his kid in every way other than DNA. But it's I think the point of the game as well is trying to make you as the player believe that she's your kid as well. I wonder by that because your your actual daughter dies so early, by that point in the game, I wonder how many people even remember what your actual daughter's name was. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, wasn't it? Yeah, I was gonna say I think it's Sarah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, now I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty sure it's Sarah. But yeah, I don't know if you guys will ever watch the series, but I, I will always like the fact that they embraced everything that's important in that story, but they threw in bits here and there that flesh things out and like different locations that Joel and Ellie would go to, you would flesh them out before Joel and Ellie get to that location. And so you're getting a bit more background information. And that was my idea with Eden Prime, basically. If you have any comments or questions or ideas about future episodes, email us at thelpcast at outlook.com. That's thelpcast at outlook.com. And if anyone would like to find you, Manning, where can they find you? I am at that Cerberus guy, all one word, on all my socials, Twitter, uh, Truth, Getter, Instagram, everything, at that Cerberus guy. And if anyone would like to find you, Tim, where can they find you? Uh, it's usually Ploppy54 on most socials. That sounded so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. And if you'd like to find me on Twitter, I am at Craig and his Mac. And until next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank, thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you all for listening. 
Oh, and by the way, Tim, before Craig forgets, he wanted to ask your permission if he could keep when you said bestiality in or if you wanted him to edit it out. I'll leave it to your discretion. I still can't believe a redneck from the deep south had to correct a proper Englishman on his grammar. <laughs> or I guess that'd be vocabulary, not grammar. Do you pronounce the T in often? And be careful because depending on how you answer depends on how severely I'll judge you. Yeah. So you say often. Oh, yeah, often. Often. Yeah. It's often. Who invented the language? Um, I believe it's a spin-off from German, so probably Conrad Adenauer would be my guess. I think it's Conrad Werner. Ah, yes, it's a, the greatest NPC ever.